So good to see you all on this, uh, as previously mentioned, Palm Sunday weekend. Speaking of which, I have it on good authority that our young people have made it safely to Door of Faith. Actually, I don't know for fact that they're at Door of Faith. I do know for fact that at 11.45 last night, there were mass quantities of tacos being consumed in Cantamar. So based on the proximity of the taco stand and the, and the orphanage, I would say they're there. Um, just keep them in your prayer this week. Uh, there are seven people from our fellowship, but uh, there are 48 total uh, young people from, I'm going to say seven vineyards, I think, seven-ish, uh, here in, in Oregon. And so they will be uh, down in northern Baja, not only with Door Faith, but working with some other organizations that do ministry in different locations around northern Baja this week. Uh, so just keep them in your prayers. Keep Tucker in your prayers. <laughs> He, it's his first time leading the trip in charge, and he might be a tiny bit nervous, a tiny bit. So, anyway, hey, um, so yeah, welcome. Good morning. So good to see you guys. Palm Sunday, first day of Holy Week. Uh, you know, Kevin said something this morning. He goes, liturgically, we celebrate this, and I realize that we're not the most liturgical people on the planet by any stretch. We don't follow liturgy, but... I think this week it, it, it's uh, it's good for us to give some some thought to the days of the week and what they mean and what happened through this week. Uh, Palm Sunday, of course, is the the beginning of Holy Week, the day that we celebrate or commemorate uh, what is oftentimes called the triumphal entry when Jesus, you know, rides into Jerusalem. And I want to look at that story today. But maybe on a little bit of a different level, I, I believe personally there is some significance in that event that is oftentimes lost in the communication of it today. So I, I want to maybe point some things out that we, we don't often or always see. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we, we will look at that together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I, I just uh, do pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you this morning, that you would enrich our lives with your word, and that you would cause us to reflect this week upon um, the sacrifice of Jesus uh, on our behalf. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to look at the uh, Gospel of Mark this morning. Um, this story is, is recorded in three of the four Gospels, but Mark... Interestingly enough, because Mark is the shortest gospel and doesn't always have a lot of detail, but in this particular story, he has some detail that the others do not. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road 
while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, and those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heavens. So Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's actually a, a colt. It's a, it's a baby donkey. It's a baby donkey, but it's not a miniature donkey. Have you seen these miniature donkeys? That's wrong. Uh, they're creepy. I, I was introduced to the miniature donkey about 10 years ago. I was in Yakima, which was my first mistake. But my, <coughs> my friend Wayne Purdom, who was the pastor of the Yakima Vineyard at the time, invited me to come out and, and share, a, I, I think I was doing something on, on youth or something at their church, on a Saturday. So I went out on Friday, drove out, you know, to, and uh, got to Wayne's house. He lives kind of uh, in, in a little community called Selah, just outside, or he did then, uh, outside of Yakima. And uh, Wayne, you know, barbecued some steaks, and his wife, and he's got two daughters, they were there. And we had dinner together. It was really nice. It was just a wonderful time sitting around, uh, talking and eating and telling funny stories and laughing together. We just had a great time. And then Wayne goes, here's your room. This is a, had a guest room for us, it was, you know, for me. It was real nice. And it was just a great time, really nice evening. And then I woke up in the morning at the crack of dawn, as they say. As soon as the sun comes up, I hear this horrendous noise. I mean, it sounded like torture was happening. And I, I was shocked. I jumped out of bed and I threw the curtains open. And six feet outside my window, there's a fence. And beyond that fence, there is a, a, a pack or a, a, what do you call them? A herd. A herd of tiny little donkeys. Tiny little, they're this big. I did not know these things existed. And they look just like the donkey in Shrek, but tiny. And there's a bunch of them and they're going crazy. And I I didn't know there was such a thing, and I thought I, I, it was some sort of a weird science experiment and cloning or something. I didn't know. I'm just in shock, and I turn around, and Wayne is standing in the doorway just cracking up. He's laughing. He knew this was going to happen. So his lovely evening of hospitality was all a setup for this moment. Um, that has nothing to do with the story, except that Jesus was not on a miniature donkey. He was on a baby donkey. And furthermore, the, the baby donkey was procured somewhat illegally. And here's one thing I like about Mark. Mark is the only one of the writers that mentions that they're going to bring the donkey back. Uh, Matthew and John tell this story, but they just say, tell them the Lord needs it, and then they take the donkey. Mark says, no, we're going to bring the donkey back later. We're, just, we're not stealing it, we're just borrowing it. And I'm so thankful for that, because I've thought a few times, I don't want to have like a faith crisis at the end of my life, you know, and just be going, okay... Jesus was good, he was loving, he, was, he cared about people, but he stole that donkey. You know, and now I go, okay, no, he just borrowed the donkey. He didn't really steal the donkey, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, we'll come back here to this passage in, uh, in a little bit. But there's one phrase there that I do want you to kind of hold on to as we look at some other things, and that is that phrase that, he told the di- disciples to communicate to the people that he borrowed the donkey from, the Lord needs it. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it. And with that, let's, uh, let's look back about 500 years to the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah prophesies to Israel uh, after their 
release from captivity and return back to Jerusalem from exile. It's, it's a time when the people of Israel are somewhat defeated. There's a glimmer of hope because they have actually been released from exile, but their city is not as it once was, and their condition as a people isn't what it once was. They are not feeling much like the chosen people of God at this point, and so there is a brokenness in their spirit, and I think, um, as I said, a glimmer of hope, but not a tremendous amount of hope for their future, and into that environment, Zechariah speaks, and he says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah talks of a day in which Israel will be restored, and not only that, but they will have a Messiah, a king that will come and will rule and reign with uh, justice and mercy. And that verse is the verse that is referenced in, I think, quite possibly every Palm Sunday sermon that's ever been preached in the history of the world. Because that's the prophetic declaration of what Jesus would one day do. And so very often when it's preached, it's preached with the perspective of to prove the point that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was going to, that he did what was said he would do. And so we know it's all true because of that. But it's actually the verse immediately following that verse that I want us to uh, take note of today. So this is Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.10 says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. Ephraim is just another name for Israel. He's going to take away the chariots and war horses and the battle bow will be broken and he will reign in peace. Um, this is a different kind of king that is being proclaimed. Kings in the ancient Near East are, I suppose, just like most kings anywhere, anytime, in that kings typically wield a lot of power and they rule by the sword and uh, they always, as is mentioned in Zechariah, rode war horses. Not long after Zechariah prophesied, prophesied one of the greatest warrior kings of all time uh, conquered on his war horse. That is a statue in Rome. You can't see it very good, but that's Alexander the Great on his horse, Bucephalus. Yes, we know the name of Alexander the Great's horse. Bucephalus was a black stallion with a white star on his forehead. It was a magnificent horse, stood a full head higher than most horses, and he was presented, this is all true, this thing called Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia. Bucephalus was originally presented to <coughs> King Philip II as a gift, but he was untamable. None of the king's horsemen could calm this horse down. And so uh, when they were unable to do that, the king declined the gift. I don't want the horse. He's not any good for anything. Alexander was a young man in the crowd at the arena that day watching these proceedings. He got up and he said, if I can calm the horse, can I have him? Sure, why not? 
Alexander noticed something that no one else noticed, and that was that the horse was, in fact, afraid of his own shadow. So he took the lead and turned the horse the other direction, so the shadow was behind him, and he immediately calmed down. Alexander was able to calm him and mount him, and the rest, as they say, is history. And the point of that little history lesson is simply to say this, that kings ride war horses. Even as Jesus is preparing his ride into Jerusalem, there is another parade happening on the other side of town. Pontius Pilate is the governor, the Roman governor of the province in which Jerusalem lies. Pilate is also a trained equestrian, by the way. And uh, his palace, Pontius Pilate's palace, was not in Jerusalem. (coughs) The uh, governor's mansion, so to speak, was actually in Caesarea, outside of Jerusalem. But on Passover, Jerusalem, which uh, had a normal population of about 40,000, would grow to over 200,000 people as the Jewish people made pilgrimage into the holy city. Part of Pilate's job was, of course, to keep the peace. And he wanted to make sure that these religious nuts didn't get out of control. And so uh, Pilate left the palace in Caesarea and came to Jerusalem for Passover and he brought with him 600 cavalry and two to 3,000 foot soldiers. This was a, uh, a show of force. This was a statement. Don't even think about it. So just picture, you've kind of got occupied Jerusalem here, and you've got SWAT on steroids over here. And they're coming together into the holy city, And Pilate is there to make this statement that Rome rules with an iron hand. Again, you can't see very well, but Jerusalem's in the middle there, and Jesus is coming from the east, from Bethany. Pilate's coming from the northwest, from Caesarea, converging in Jerusalem. Jesus with his 12 disciples and these crowds of people with the palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God, in the highest... Pilate with his mounted warriors uh, coming to squelch any possible rebellion. Pilate, like Alexander and all the other warrior kings before him, rides on a war horse. Jesus, we read a moment ago, rides on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, when Jesus told his disciples to say, the Lord needs it. He meant the Lord needs it. This was a very, very intentional act. Think about it for a minute. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus and his disciples traveling from place to place, right? They go here, they go there, they go over here. Uh, How how many times do we see Jesus riding a donkey during those travels? Never. Jesus walked with the disciples everywhere they went, he rode, a horse, he rode the donkey this day intentionally. This was a statement that Jesus was making. <coughs> so 
So very often when we hear this taught on Palm Sunday, <coughs> the point is simply that <coughs> Jesus, by riding the donkey, was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah to prove that he said he was who he said he was, but that actually isn't the point at all. The point is that Jesus was making a statement. This was an in-your-face to Pontius Pilate, an in-your-face to Caesar, an in-your-face to Alexander the Great and every other warmongering king who ever rode a war horse and ruled by the sword. The Prince of Peace was declaring a new kingdom had come. I might add, why not? It's an in-your-face to every warmongering king who believes you can rule by the sword today. A new kind of king has come. You know, uh, so we, you know, keep your politics and your religion separate. Don't, you know, Jesus wasn't political. Well, Jesus was political, people. Uh, he was not political in the way that we might think, but he was political. This was an absolute political statement. Anybody uh, watch the news yesterday? I, I, I got to say, you know, I don't care which side of the gun lobby you're on, you've got to be proud of those kids. I, I, I just think you've got to be proud of those kids. So two parades coming into Jerusalem, one from the east, one from the west. One is a show of military force, one is a prophetic declaration of peace. And as they say, uh, everybody loves a parade, right? The question is, which parade are you going to march in? Are, are we, church, going to fall in line with those who trust in horses and chariots and rule by the sword, or are we going to follow the way of the Prince of Peace? That's the question. And I think that's the question we have to answer on Palm Sunday, because I believe that Jesus' ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a statement that a new kingdom has come, and the way of war is not the way that this king is going to rule. One final prophetic verse this morning, this time from Isaiah, also talking about the coming of the king. And if you guys want to come up now, you can. Isaiah says, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train 
for war anymore.